Now we're going to have our first message, first message of this beautiful Sabbath day by Mr. Ken Barton. So, what can we do? battleship had been at sea on its routine maneuvers under heavy weathers for days. Captain, who was worried about the deteriorating weather conditions, stayed on the bridge to keep an eye on all the activities. One night, the lookout at the bridge suddenly shouted, Captain, a light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it stationary or moving astern, the captain asked. The lookout replied that it was stationary. This meant the battleship was on a dangerous collision course with the other ship. Captain immediately ordered his signalman to signal to the ship, we are on a collision course. I advise you to change course 20 degrees east. Back came the response from the other ship, you change course 20 degrees west. Agitated by the arrogance of the response, the captain asked his signalman to shoot out another message. I am a captain, you change your course 20 degrees east. Back came the second response. I am a second class seaman. You had still better change course 20 degrees west. Captain was furious by this time. He shouted to the signalman, send back a final message. I am a battleship. Change course 20 degrees east right now. Back came the flashing response. I am a lighthouse. The captain duly changed course. We are going to be celebrating Feast of Trumpets in two days, the coronation of the new king. Getting ready, practicing up. Is this going to be for real someday? I believe that over the past month or two, God has been speaking to us about coming to him, about what has been occurring in our world, and that we must seek his face and turn toward him and away from the world or things will get much worse. I've also noticed that those in the world have increasingly been putting out the message that their way is the right way and that we should start following their lead. For instance, and I'm possibly going to upset some folks here, this is what God laid on my heart, so I'm going to say it. For instance, the gays, right? The rainbow people. All love and peace and happiness. They believe in letting everybody be what they feel is right for them, right? Unless, of course, what you believe is not the same as their belief. Then they will very much tell you how wrong you are. For instance, if you don't believe that there are now, by the way, the other day we learned there were 56 genders, or 65, I don't remember which now, According to the radio the other day, there's 73 different genders. <laughs> Thankfully, they did not start explaining how they come up with these. Anyway, I heard that uh, Thursday night on the radio. <clears throat> and they believe that people should be able to choose each and every day what gender they are. And if you don't agree, why, well, you're just being hateful. And if you don't allow them to use whatever bathroom they want to use on whatever day, you're the one that's wrong. 
you're being hateful again, judgmental. If you don't agree with them that we need to totally scrap our old-fashioned beliefs and join in with them, why, you should be punished, you should be hassled, you should be driven down for the rest of your life. It seems they are gaining ground, or at least gaining popularity. This last weekend, I saw a USA Today newspaper that had at least two articles singing the praises of the LGBTQ folks, how they're such wonderful people, and, and no doubt they are, there are talented people in this group. Okay? So I'm, I'm not going to tell you that they don't have talent, that they don't, you know. I have a problem with what they're trying to put out that we need to kowtow to and join in. They had two articles. Uh, on one, one fellow was in two articles, one expressly on him, the other one on the LGBTQ folks and how great they're doing. <clears throat> but it's not just them. There are other problems. Violent crime's getting worse by the day. Cybercrime is rampant. Protection against industry, I'm sorry, identity theft is a growing cottage industry. I knew those two weren't in the same sentence. Sexual sin has become horrendous. As I've mentioned before, babies are being murdered every day. I saw a headline about how much sexually transmitted diseases are growing, so I did a little Google search. <clears throat> News Medical Life Sciences had an article by Dr. Ananya Mandal, I, believe, I hope I'm saying her name right, that was published August 28, 2018, states that according to a new report from the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that that week, nearly 2.3 million sexually transmitted diseases were diagnosed in the country in 2017. She states that, according to them, this is by far the highest the country has ever faced. How much higher, you might ask? According to them, the numbers for 2016 were 200,000. So an increase from 200,000 to 2.3 million. We know, I think we know, that God uses diseases to try to get our attention, right? That's not all the tools in his toolbox. He'll use natural disasters such as earthquakes, hurricanes, volcanoes, wildfires, etc. And they're going crazy, aren't they? We're having a lot of those. As I told you once before, I met a gentleman when, right after California had made same-sex marriages the law of their land, the wildfires started going seriously crazy in California. I was talking with this fella, and he said, have you noticed the fires in California? I think somebody's setting those. And I said, yeah, God, he's trying to get their attention. And he was taken aback at that. He said, the God I worship does not kill people. I should have said, you need to go back and read the book. Because he will. <clears throat> he wants to get our attention. How many of you, you know, know that if your child took off running toward the street, once you caught him or her, they were going to get their bottom warm. Because you wanted them to know, you do not ever do that. 
according to so many so-called experts, though, all of that stuff is strictly, it is caused by man, but it's caused by global warming. I don't think so. So, who or what do we believe and what can we do? Perhaps we should do like the captain and consider who should pay attention to whom. I didn't give this to, to Brian. But to Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Kind of like the captain and the lighthouse. Somebody's actually got more power and authority or ability to ruin your day than the other. Okay? The captain could probably get the second class seaman for what? Insolence, insubordination, bad attitude toward a captain. But the land that that lighthouse was warning him about was ultimately and immensely more powerful than that battleship. God is much more powerful than the forces of evil. They don't believe that, but I do. So, do we believe that the Lord God, creator of all that is, and realize that the direction that we as a nation and world, actually, have been following will result in our destruction, or do we believe that we're just being superstitious, that everything will be okay tomorrow, tomorrow. No, I'm not. Hopefully, we'll look back throughout history and realize that a number of civilizations that have gone before us have been destroyed because of their sinfulness. And we'll wake up, seek him, and pray for revival. The thing is, it isn't easy. It requires work. It requires change on our part. Daniel was reading the prophecies of his contemporary Jeremiah about what had happened, the carrying away of Daniel and the others to Babylon. And we'll start in, in uh, Jeremiah 25 and verse 2. which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the twenty-third year, in which the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. Now let me... I'm not putting myself on a level with Jeremiah. Okay, I'm reading Jeremiah. Okay? But Jeremiah was the prophet that God sent. Okay? And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Repent now, everyone, of his evil way and his evil doings and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them and do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands and I will not harm you. 
yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against those nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. One can almost see Daniel nodding his head in pain as he reads what God had told his people was going to and what did take place. Picture then what may have happened when he read the rest of verse 11. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. When do you think he realized that he was reading something now that hadn't happened yet? It hadn't come to pass yet that God would return them to Jerusalem. What's that? He may have murmured to himself. Then he read verses 12 through 14. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all nations, all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall be served by them also. And I will repay them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. Then Daniel starts to do some counting, figuring out how long they'd been there. Let's see. I was this old when we were captured and taken here, and now I'm this old. Then he figured it out. Daniel, verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of this reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. And immediately he started to seek God's face. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. See, God, when he had said that, he said, you'll need to come back to me. You'll need to see my face. If you do that, then these things will happen. So he immediately started doing that. He believed God's word. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O oh Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and judgments. 
Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to, the, to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. He is recognizing their position, with how, how bad, and he's also recognizing that God had tried and tried and tried, and nobody listened. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face. As it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face. To our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Catch that? God owns mercy and forgiveness. And he'll be our source of it if we're going to get it. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your laws, and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing us upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does. Though we have not obeyed his voice, and now, O Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and our city, which was, is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Do you understand how truly Daniel is seeking God's face in this prayer? I want you to realize these 16 verses make up Daniel's prayer. And I talked to you about 
and Graham Lotz's book, The Daniel Prayer. That's what covers these 16 verses. And she gives a lot of insight about how we may want to turn around and how we can. It's definitely made me look more closely at my relationship with my father and to start working on getting closer. And then picking up at 20. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Gabriel went on to explain what was going to happen next. What I'm wanting us to realize is that we can come to God, seek his face, and renew our relationship with him. We don't have to wait to be carried away. We don't have to wait to be destroyed. We don't have to wait for the end of life as we know it. A lot of us have already seen the end of life as we knew it back when you could watch TV and, and enjoy something that wasn't eat up with profanities and everything else. But we can do that. One thing I realized is that Daniel had a long, strong, lifelong relationship with God, but he knew that he needed to be closer. I want us to consider for a moment just how close that relationship was. And maybe consider how close our relationship is with God. And Lotz points out that out of those 16 verses, 12 of them are confessing sin. Not their sin, but our sin. Daniel's not standing up on a high pinnacle watching down all those horrid people. He's part of them. We are part of this world. He realizes and confesses sinfulness in his own heart. In my opinion, that is exactly what we must do. What God tells us, you've got to come to a realization of where you are compared to where I need you to be. If we want to return to a right relationship, that's what we've got to do. Her heart was prepared to understand this, and I think God works these things out. He'll, he's, if he's going to have a lesson that you need to, to pay heed to, a lot of times he'll give you something to help you understand it as you're getting there. You may not even realize it. You think it just happens then. More and more often, I don't really think it happens to me. Anyway, there was a book. There was a, an evangelist named, Char named Charles G. Finney. And in 1984, 
he wrote a book titled How to Experience Revival. New Kensington, Pennsylvania, Whitaker House, in case you guys want to search that up. But in that, he references Hosea 10:12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You catch what Hosea is saying there? It is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. They were having problems, right? Hey, what do we do? What do we do? Let's see. We can cut down on carbon emissions. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it. We can seek God. And the God that messes things up can straighten them up. If we are going to get into a relationship with our Father that will make a serious difference, we need to be serious about it. He challenged those writing or reading his book to get a pen and paper and write down each sin as it came to mind. He made the point, he tells in the book, that since our sins are committed one at a time, they must be reviewed and repented of one at a time. Kind of a daunting task, isn't it? It'd be a whole lot easier to just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me? Okay. But we need to realize where we're at when we're doing these wrong things. We need to realize and recognize what's coming on. Get away from it. I believe that if... I'm sorry, wait a minute. Um... She provided us, uh, me, readers of the book. If you guys get it, you'll see it in chapter 5, in case you want to go right to it. But it's, it's a, a, she reworded his list somewhat. He gave no one that people are going to be at a loss to how to start, where to start, and what to do. He provided a, a list of sins. that we could maybe consider where we're at, what we're committing, where our relationship is, and what our, what our problems are. But it's, it's a good list to help us focus. Okay? It's things like uh, ingratitude toward God. Our loving love for God. Neglect of Bible reading. Is everybody here? And if you do, I'm going to feel really bad. Read your Bible every day, have Bible study every day. Set a time to do that. Anyway, it's, it's a good framework for you to work through to help you straighten out. Because I believe if we'll seek his face, if we'll do this, we will come much closer to God. And just think of all the differences that that can make.